I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. I am welcoming a very special guest host for Mid-South Moments this week, a man I first met way back on March 30th, 2001, sitting next to me on a plane to Houston for WrestleMania 17. 19 years on and over 70 Mania matches watched in person together later. Welcome to the show, Mark Dunderdale. That was a good uh, greeting. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Mark, before we get on with some reminiscing about some of our travels and trips, etc., um, I'm sure I've heard this before, but please tell me again how you first fell in love with the world of professional wrestling. Um, yeah, I I used to watch the tail end of the ITV wrestling, uh, the world of sport, just before it finished. I wouldn't say I was in love with it at that point. And then I started secondary school 1990, and uh, that's when people were starting to get the sticker albums and collect the trading cards. And um, I actually discovered WWF that way before I'd even got Sky and could watch it on TV. So seeing the trading cards with people like the Mountie, the Ultimate Warrior, Million Dollar Man, Macho King at that stage. Yeah. These were all characters that I thought, you know, they're all interesting looking characters. And then finally uh, we got Sky TV a year later and I was able to see it for myself. So from there it's been non-stop. That sticker album, was that the... Uh, the one with the black cover, like WF Superstars, I think Andre the Giant was the very last, very last. No, I think it might have been the one after that, maybe a year later with a blue cover, because I don't think Andre was in it. Ah. But, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, the, the kids at the school field were already doing wrestling on the field, and I was one of the annoying ones that would say, you know, all that stuff's fake, why are you messing about with that? (laughs) Because I hadn't seen it for myself, and then we got Sky TV and there was no looking back. So that's an interesting one. A lot of, I'll ask this a lot of people. So, so you're always aware that this was a, a work, an entertainment rather than, you know, a legitimate sporting contest. Yeah, um, it's strange. I, I hear a lot of people when discussing that, they all say when they found out. But I think mm. it was partly because of my dad, to be honest. If we were watching it on TV, he'd point out, look at that. He never even touched in there, that kind of thing. And yeah, then, uh, I'm the same. I don't think I ever didn't know. Cause my, my gran used to watch the ITV stuff and was quite into it. And that's kind of how and why I started watching. But I don't think there was ever a point where I've said it on another, another show. This is probably a little bit before you were watching. There was an angle when Dusty Rhodes was on the way out of the WWF. I guess this would have been around, um, or around 91, maybe when he, he had an angle with Ted DiBiase and, um, Dustin Rhodes. Like, yeah, I've, they have the tag match quite... at Royal Rumble night. Yeah, that's it. And I've been being quite upset with that. But that's the only time looking back on that stuff that any anything that was in wrestling felt real or really freaked me out. I think it was only like the father son dynamic that got to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, so what was your first live event? Uh, I've been to see some local stuff, but then WWF. Um... I believe the same as you. I managed to get tickets for SummerSlam at Wembley. Yeah, I thought so. I couldn't remember if that was the case. Yeah. So, so did you come down on a coach for that? Is that if I got that? Yeah. That memory yeah, right? the, yeah. It was our local newspaper used to do bus trips to mm. concerts and things like that, and wrestling became part of that. And um, yeah, we uh, we had, well, I come down and had a weekend in London, and uh, my brother and my dad went to watch a football game. Me and my mum went to watch the wrestling. So who did you, I'm sure we probably talked about this, but it's probably like 15 plus years ago, so memories yeah. about my head. Who were you supporting in the main event of SummerSlam 92? Uh, it was a tough one because since 
SummerSlam '91, Brett was my guy, mm. but um, I couldn't I couldn't not cheer the Bulldogs. So yeah. I, I think it was one of these. I'd have been happy either way, but uh, I, I was very happy that Bulldog won the belt. I really remember that. that was the. Um, I think that was probably. I mean, I remember matches before that where I really cared about the outcome, but that was about as real as it got. But I was sat there with a, a Bret Hart sunglasses on around my neck, I think. But you had, you kind of had to support the Bulldog. It wasn't wasn't really any any sort of choice. Do you remember whereabouts you were sat at Wembley Stadium that night? I do. I was. Um, if you think of the stadium as being the entrance was on one end rather than a side, it was on the end, wasn't it? That's why mm. it was so long. I was yeah. on the opposite side. And uh, I believe, I don't know the exact number, about six rows from the back of the stadium. So I couldn't have been much further away from the ring. Oh, so upper tier. But they priced them really oddly. Because I remember my sister kicked off. Because all of the like £25 tickets were like what you would consider to be good view for football. Because we yeah. were right up there in the corner as well. Like similar, similar sort of place to you. Um, but then she, just before bell time for the first match, got us on the pitch. And we found three empty seats. And we were probably... Oh, right. I don't know. We must have been 20 rows back on the floor. Um, it's quite, quite a long way, but better than where we were. But I remember that being a bit of a cock-up, and I think a few people were complaining about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was quite, uh, quite, an, quite an incredible event. And it's mad to think that we still haven't had a proper full-on WF pay-per-view ever in this country since, if you don't count um, like the, the, the UK. The UK only ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, yeah, um, the... The WWF themselves, WWE themselves, even rate it very, very highly. The amount of times they, in video packages and stuff, they'll show it because of the atmosphere and everything else. Mm. But not enough to um, come back for another one. So going going with a few matches earlier in the card, the Randy Savage versus Ultimate Warrior. Do you remember having any particular favourite in that one? Because the storyline was interesting going into that with who Mr. Perfect, who Mr. Perfect was going to be in the corner of. Um, and I remember when Warrior came out without him and his savage came out initially he got quite a lot of booze but then everyone realized that he wasn't there kind of thing so um but perfect wasn't coming down do you remember who you were supporting in that one um i i remember that the confusion was because you know we thought it was it wasn't a case of would he be in someone's corner it was definitely he was definitely going to be it was which yes. one yeah so yeah. uh there was confusion as to the fact he didn't really he sort of got involved on both sides but in terms of who did up for at that point, I think I was more of a macho man guy than a warrior guy. Yeah, me too. And I think that we were probably in the minority there. Because I remember the, the reaction for a warrior. Like everyone in the aisle just sort of stormed past where we were. And it was it was pretty nuts. And I think people did really want warriors to win that. And he wasn't very long for this. For, for, well, I shouldn't say this world, actually. He wasn't very long for the WF after that. Because he left in, what, November time before Spice, isn't he? So yeah. from that point, did you do a, a few of this UK tours and a few of the events in uh in England um, during those sort of mid-90s period? I did. I went as often as I could. I think the first one after that was um, just after WrestleMania the following year. Um, in, in fact, it was a, a Sky exclusive. It was televised. The main event, I think, was Hacksaw Jim Duggan against Yokozuna. Mm. And um, there was a Shawn Michaels versus Crush match for the Intercontinental title. It was, it was a decent show. That was at my local arena, which is Sheffield, the closest big arena to where I live. And um, the year after that, I did the post-WrestleMania one, which had Bret Hart versus Owen Hart after WrestleMania 10. Oh, I bet that was um, great. Man. It was really good, yeah. And then that summer, they came back. Again. Oh, sorry. In, in 93, they came back in the summer because Hulk Hogan came to Sheffield. Uh, I think that was 
after King of the Ring, so it was Hulk's last dates, I think, were a UK tour. Oh, so did you uh, go and see that one with Hogan? Yeah, Hogan yeah. and Yokozuna. Uh, I remember seeing the Steiner Brothers, because I was a huge Steiner Brothers fan at that point, and uh, that was a decent show. And then, yeah, 1994, there was one after WrestleMania and one in the summer again, so that one had Undertaker and Yokozuna, as well as the, I think it was Brett and the Bulldog against Owen and the Anvil around SummerSlam. Decent, time. yeah, we got some decent stuff around around then. And um, that Hogan, that's really interesting. I didn't know that you can see because that that's a really interesting sort of weird fact that his last, what many thought would be his last WWF run ever, just happened to be in the, on a UK tour, which is pretty random. He didn't. I don't. Did he ever wrestle here apart from that tour? I can't. Did he ever wrestle for TNA over here? Um. He definitely appeared for TNA. I don't know if he had a match. He may have done, actually. Mm. But um, I, I know, yeah, I, th- I seem to think uh, they made a big deal out of him getting some matches in, in that, yeah. what would it be, 2000? He'd been in TNA a while, so maybe 2011 or 12. Because I know that he, he had a match with Randy. So I think his first UK, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know what he would have, whether he would have come over here in the early 80s and done like a few dates or something then but I think he had a match with Randy Savage at the London Arena in 89 just just yeah. at the early period of Sky um, and then I think he was on the UK Rampage 91 after WrestleMania wasn't in did he I think maybe Silent Slaughter perhaps but he wasn't it wasn't very very um sort of prevalent in UK dates Hogan back then so no, I, I mean, guess he was winding down a bit by that stage at the end of 91, when I think he was still champion, he wasn't even on that UK Rampage card where British Bulldog won that Battle Royal. Oh, okay, Blair, yeah. I think that was Ric Flair's first WWF match at that UK show at Earl's Court. Oh, it's, weird, it's weird how these things work out, these odd, these odd facts and stuff yeah. um, end up happening in the UK. So you didn't really move away, did you? There was no real gap in your, in your fandom. Um, so you, you stuck with it during the sort of no, dark those, days of WF in the 90s. I was just going to say the same, the dark days, sort of 95, 94, 95, when I know business was down and, um, but that the, the, the ne- Diesel and Brett and everyone, even though I liked watching them, they didn't do the same kind of business that years before Hulk Hogan and Macho Man had been doing. But no. yeah, I, I, I still found stuff to enjoy on, on the show the whole time. I mean, you had people like um, Razor Ramon, One Two Three Kid, coming through at that time, and uh, Undertaker was still uh, on the up and up. So there was still plenty to enjoy, even though not everything sort of hit the target. Yeah, I mean, I, I was still, I, I pretty much watched because um, we had a weird period here, didn't we? We didn't get Raw. Do you, do you remember that? We, I think that's right. Yeah, it'd be sort yeah. of Friday night. We'd see highlights. Yeah, it was WWF Mania, perhaps with Todd Pettengill. Because I remember the the IC stuff when Michaels vacated the belt. Um, I can't remember exactly what the story was now with that, but that whole um, battle royal and, and the match the following week between Razor Ramon and Rick Martel. I think from that was all that was all on um, WF Mania. I think that hurt my fandom a bit because I I couldn't stand the fact that you couldn't you couldn't watch the the show where everything was happening and there was a bit of confusion at that time between. Superstars and Raw and what was kind of the main and Raw was becoming more the main show really where all the big angles were happening. And I, I don't really know why we didn't get that for so long. No, it, it was odd. Yeah, and it was around the same time. Uh, it was a bit earlier than WCW came over, but late in later years we'd have them both. But again, only at the following weekend, so we're sort yeah. of a week behind America. Did you have? I'm sure we talked about this, but I can't remember. 
do you have um, Sky and were you able to get access to the WCW pay-per-views on that German channel? Did you have cable? Yeah, um, the DSF was the yes. name of the sports channel. And I always remember the guy who hosted it, they had their own sort of WWF show. And I don't even know if it was WWF official or just some German guys who uh, talked about wrestling. But this guy, Carsten Schaefer, is still working now with WWE. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing the German commentary on the American pay-per-views. I remember watching, they, they had some ECW, some WWF, and some WCW, because the first one I ever remember watching, again, only maybe the same week it happened in America, was Halloween Havoc 96. And I think that was my first time I saw a Rey Mysterio match when he wrestled Dean Malenko. Oh, wow. Did yeah. they have German commentators on that, or did they have the English commentators? Yeah, no, they had their own uh, commentary over the wow. top. I don't think recorded live. I think they just did it for the for the broadcast. I mean, it was such a bizarre that whole TNT WWE thing was such a bizarre situation here because that that TNT UK channel was what Cartoon Network during the daytime, and then it switched to TNT in the evenings. It was That's classic right, yeah. movies, etc. And you get we'd get Nitro when it first started. We get an hour. We get the full hour. Then it went to two hours. We get an abridged hour. So. I watched back quite a lot of the early night shows, and there was loads of stuff I remembered, loads of stuff I'd never seen before, because it never aired here, and we never got any of the pay-per-views, and I had cables rather than satellite, and I could never access that DSF, but I remember um, in Power Slam magazine and various other places, them talking about that, and the fact that you, yeah. you could get the pay-per-views, but, but it's so bizarre thinking back that our, how limited our um, our access was to, to stuff around that time. Um, so, following on from sort of the mid-90s stuff, you sort of came to a decision... I guess in 2000, that the following year was going to be the first trip to WrestleMania. So, so talk me through how and when that light bulb moment happened. You're like, I'm going to make this happen. Uh, yeah, I know exactly when I decided that was going to be the year. It was during WrestleMania 2000 that did a yeah. uh, commercial. And I think it was right after the Terry Runnels and the Cat match. And it's still on the DVD. I don't know about the network version. Where they ran a promo, as they do every year now, for the following year's WrestleMania. And they said, in 1987, 93,000 fans, blah, 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 at the Pontiac Silverdome. Um, that was a record. But records don't bend, they break. Next year at Houston, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, if they're getting 100,000 fans, I definitely have to be there for that one. Yeah, and that's and, uh, exactly they didn't. the same as me. I said, I had a few friends around that night, including Lewis, who later met. And yeah. I said, I'm going next year. And then, yeah, just, just have to so, so talk me through how, because our, our um, kind of journeys, to make this trip happen were quite different. So talk me through how you, how you, how did you do it? How, what, what, were, what were the steps you had to take in very early internet age to make a trip to WrestleMania? I mean, na- nowadays, this sort of stuff's so easy and, and it's thousands and thousands of people. But back then, there wasn't very many people on that flight, apart from us, that were going to WrestleMania. And I think it was quite unusual. Yeah, the, the, in the official WWF magazine, they used to have um, adverts for the WWF travel package and it would promote you get your hotel, your tickets to the show and everything else in with it except your flights. And I thought, well, that's a straightforward way of doing it. Um, I didn't know if it and, and I wasn't looking at, well, what would be the most cost effective way of doing it? I thought if it's easy, I'll do it. Yeah. And um, I signed up for that. I'd, I'd actually done it earlier. I remember sending off my details by post, as you did in them days. And I got some um, paperwork through for, I remember Survivor Series 2000 was the first one. I didn't do that. And then a few others. And then when I got the WrestleMania uh, paperwork through, but I they just a bit of the bullet and went for it. 
Was would that be by post back then? Yeah, or by, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was all post. So um, I filled out all my details and uh, went for it that way. So it's just flights weren't included. You have to do that separately. So I mean, that is you think that's crazy that so so WF had a mailing list. People, some people around the world presumably they would post information to. Yeah. Um, so you, I think you, do you, do you, you, um, travel agent, which is another thing of the kind of the dim and distant past now for your flights. Um, and that, and that was it basically, wasn't it? That was it. It was all, it was all sorted. Yeah. I had no clue if, if English airports flew to somewhere like Houston. Or yeah, exactly. You wouldn't, how, you wouldn't know that. Exactly. Sort of, this is the thing. It's, it's nuts to think you just wouldn't, I guess, I think we used to use Yahoo. I mean, I didn't really have internet around the time that we were ju- just literally getting it when we, when we first planned this trip. But yeah, yeah you, you, didn't, you didn't know, did you? You just didn't know this sort of stuff. No, it was just, I, I literally went to my local travel agent and I asked, how do I get to Houston? And uh, mm. we went from there. Luckily, yeah. there was a direct flight, you know. I mean, it's not. So so mine was, I didn't know about the travel packages. Um, So I, we had a PC at home that we just bought, but we hadn't had a, so we got a second telephone line because this is back in the day of dial-ups. If you're on the internet, no one could get through on the phone. And my parents yeah. didn't like the idea of that in case you know, some, you know, whatever, some family emergency or whatever. So um, I actually went around a friend's house and spent about five or six hours on the day, Saturday, the tickets went on sale, trying to get tickets, failed, failed, miserably failed. And in the end, like, it was just getting a bit awkward with their, with their parents. So I went home, set my PC up with a, with a, with a telephone line. This is probably, probably went on sale about 3 p.m. our time. Um, so I guess that would have been, what, 9 a.m. Houston time. Yeah. And I probably ended up getting them about 10 o'clock at night our time. So I got pretty dismal tickets in the second tier which is quite high up at the Astrodome um, yeah. and that was that was it kind of thing I was done and I can't you know, I couldn't even remember how I did the flights I presume I just phoned up BA or whatever at the, at the time or whoever it was um, but it's just so crazy I remember we booked a hotel and I I searched online hotels near the Astrodome and you didn't even have a Google Maps or something and this this yeah. this Howard Johnson Inn came up and it ended up being 15 miles away from the um, from the Astrodome. You were luckier than me because you had the hotel, which we had to get a cab back from, from when we went there, which was just across the parking parking uh, thing, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. across from the uh, arena. So fast forward to the 30th of March. So we we're sitting down. I, I'm I think I'm the second middle seat on the right hand side, and you're the aisle seat. Correct. Um, and I think we started chatting fairly early, and you're you're and came clear what sort of where we were going and what we were doing um, and then another one of our now really really good friends was sat behind us um and i remember you were the first person that ever said to me or made me realize that the undertaker had a winning streak at wrestlemania and the other thing i thought when i when I, after i was speaking, speaking to you for a while i was thinking i thought i knew quite a bit about wrestling but this guy knows a lot more than i bloody do so <laughs> those are my two residing memories of, um, of that flight i remember a lot of, of how we all got talking but i just don't remember how it started but yeah someone must have said something i think yeah, i remember you... i had a portable cd player and i got all my wwf music cds out of my little <laughs> thing so that might you might have just spotted that and said yeah probably i think we one of us just said to the other like, well, who, what, what are you going to use them for and it yeah. became sort of fairly obvious i remember the other the other sort of semi-controversial thing on that is that while you had brought some um wrestling cds to listen to and i think i had my I probably had a tape Walkman then. I remember my travel companion Lewis had some material of a slightly more adult nature that he decided yeah, to bring on the flight, which is yeah, which is which was uh, which was quite 
I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Lewis is an old school friend of mine. I didn't. I didn't know him all that well then. But being two wrestling fans, I was quite shocked when he got that out. But it was a. It was a great laugh, and obviously it was. Um, our, our really close friend, mutual friend Stuart, was behind us with his friend, and, and, and was it was he with a girl? I can't remember whether or they were traveling. No, no, Stuart and I think a guy he worked with called Andy, yeah. and um, I don't think Andy kept with the wrestling after that. Oh, did he not? Well, a lot. I mean, that that was that 2001 was really a time where a lot of people sort of sort of fell away from from it. So, talk to what what was it like for you? Go, I mean that. To, to pick to, for any WrestleMania to pick for your, for your first one to pop the WrestleMania cherry. I mean, I think generally speaking, everyone agrees that's the best WrestleMania in history. Yeah. So what what was your what was your? I mean, we 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 bumped into each other at Access as well. So actually, let's get let's go back a step. So what was your that Access was incredible in Houston. So what was your feeling sort of walking into that place for the first time? Yeah, I mean, seeing all the uh, they had a ring there that they were doing matches. I remember seeing a Jerry Lynn match before he debuted on TV. And um, the thing, I remember seeing Vince McMahon's Corvette that was filled with concrete. Everything oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah. It was incredible to see. And um, life-size um, Andre the Giant handprints and footprints that you could sort of stand on his footprints and put your hands on his. Uh, well, we've seen them all on packages on, on WrestleMania since then. But, yeah, it was it was an incredible experience. I think I I was a bit introverted in, in my younger days so I thought you know going on my own not knowing anyone I thought it'll do me a bit of good and it did um you know meeting people and making friends on the airplane and then you get talking obviously when you're over there as well and it, it did me a lot of good um generally yeah, I mean, not just in the wrestling world I wouldn't have been brave enough to do it but I, it's probably the sort of thing I do now but I think it's really commendable just to go out there and go I remember going up to Sheffield for the last UK pay-per-view by myself just before when that had been, when did you go to that one? De- December time. In- no, was that um, Rebellion two thousand one? Was it? Uh, Edge no, Christian in the cage, or no? It was the one before that. So it was, it was Sheffield. It was Sheffield Arena um, in two thousand. I think the the main event was some sort of multi man match. Because um, remember Steve uh, yeah. Austin. No, the I Rock didn't do that. Rebellion, no. No, so that was what lost me. But I think it was commendable going, going out there. And, what, why not? It's certainly something I would do now. Um, but that that weekend, that that act was pretty, pretty pretty special. I mean, we headed over on Friday night, and within about half an hour, I was, on, I was making a reverse charge phone call to my dad to ask him whether I could buy a WWF title belt on his credit card, <laughs> which I had a I had an additional card holder on. And he was like, "Yeah, all right, fine." Which I've still got that belt today. But it was just it was just nuts, wasn't it? I mean, it was you. Well, well, how old were you then? You, I guess you were uh, about 21, was 21. 21, yeah. So I was 19. So like to actually make that happen at that age, I think it's it's, it's pretty spectacular looking looking back on it. So talk to me about your what was what did your WrestleMania what was your WrestleMania Sunday like in terms of sort of getting to the Astrodome and seeing that incredible I mean really cr- incredible looking building for the first time. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean it it's that uh, another person we met on the aeroplane uh, was a lady called Mar- Maria who was travelling on her own as well, mm. and. Um, we uh, were staying at the same hotel. In fact, there was, I think everyone except you and Lewis were staying in that travel package hotel. Oh, so okay, a gang yeah. of sort of seven or eight of us agreed to meet um, that night when we were on the aeroplane. And I think Maria and I were the only ones that actually did. And uh, in the bar on the Saturday night, we'd uh, had a lot of drinks. I remember talking to Mike Kyoda at one point. There were, oh, brilliant. The, yeah, the wrestlers right. weren't staying there, but a lot of the um, staff were. Uh, like the ring crew and the cameramen, etc., and um, and I agreed to meet Maria to go to WrestleMania with, rather than walk over on our own. 
but because I was heavily drunk at the time, I had forgot that. I only found out on the Monday when Maria uh, wasn't very happy and reminded me that I didn't show up at the date and time we agreed to meet. But, no, very intimately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So um, I did end up going over on my own. And like you said, it, it was such a unique building with the dome on it and everything and just walking in. And, you know, I haven't been anywhere anywhere that big before football games or anything like that. And um, other than outdoor stadiums, obviously. And um, I think my overriding memory, of obviously the wrestling itself was incredible. It is the best WrestleMania of all time. But the the, the time I had, uh, I remember after the show was standing while everyone was leaving, so it was sort of half full, just stood, and they showed the video package that actually closed the show mm. with the highlights of Austin and McMahon and Rock and everyone, and, and JR just yelling on it, um, son of a bitch, I don't believe this, I cannot believe this, and all that, and I just thought, this is, this is it, this is what, I've been a wrestling fan for 10 years, and it all led to sort of, uh, to that it was incredible great and unfortunately we've we spent most of the last 20 years chasing trying to get back to that moment <laughs> never quite never quite getting there really you I mean, never forget just, your first you never forget your first i mean i, I just that astrodome was it was a complete almost a complete circle and the sides were so, i mean wembley stadium old wembley is uh, obviously we've i think we've probably been to, probably been to both but old wembley was pretty special because it had the character about it but at the astrodome was like a complete circle really high sides yeah. Um, and just an incredible looking building for wrestling and the way they lit it. Um, and I just remember pretty much from about the, after the, the hardcore match kind of, um, that was quite good fun. And I think after that, it all sort of went in the right direction. And, it, yeah. and after that, it was just match after match. It just worked. Uh, I mean, that, and that main event, um, for a long time, I think that's the best match I've ever seen live. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, it still must be in the top, you know, top echelons of that, of that now. Um, I think it was their first four-hour pay-per-view, in fact. I'm sure the year before was only three hours. Oh, so was what, it? Okay, once yeah. the first hour with sort of right to centres match and all that was out of the way in the hardcore match, it was just three hours non-stop with a bit of everything. It's brilliant. Yeah, everything everything just everything just clicked. Um, everything yeah. worked. And, and the Austin and Rock match was just... Uh, I mean, it was really a, a privilege to be there for, for that sort of match of the ages, um, really. But yeah, it was, it was, it was quite something to be, be at the Astrodome. So... Presumably you were like me after that, and you're like, well, there's no way now I've done it once, I can I can't possibly miss the following year. So plans were put in place for WrestleMania 18. Did we know it was in Toronto at that point, or did that come later? I presume that came later, didn't it? I guess. I'm not sure. I don't know if they played a thing during it like they did the year before, but maybe not. I remember they yeah. had a press conference sort of at the end of the year because um, I think The Rock was WCW champion at that point, so it was maybe September time. Yeah, they did a big big press conference in Toronto. So did did you were you always planning to make it make it? Back yeah, I, I thought year? at that point if, if I can afford it, I'm going to come every year and, and uh, yeah. keep keep coming. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, obviously being, being like guys for mobile phones, none of us none of us exchange any details, and all of a sudden on the Thursday the following year, which I guess would have been 17, 16, 15, 14th of March on a Thursday, we bump into each other at the airport. Heathrow, I guess it must have been. Yeah, Gatwick um, for Houston, Heathrow for Toronto. Heathrow for Toronto, and then we end up randomly, you know, a year afterwards, sitting one one row in front of you guys, you and Stuart on the plane to Toronto, which is pretty yeah. nuts if you think about it. Yeah, I, I kept in touch with Stuart, so I did the travel package again, and we went together. 
And then, yeah, I just remember walking around the um, Heathrow departure lounge. And I said, I, I remember them two from last year. And then, mm. yeah, you were sat literally right in the seats in front of us. So the four of us sort of had the flight together again. Yeah. So, I mean, that's great. That was a very different um, different feeling weekend, wasn't it, I think, in terms of the the WWF wasn't quite on the, the upswing that it was the year before. Um, yeah. And it was quite, I mean, you, ha- you had the Hogan rock incredible moment. Um, but it was probably the first time I left any wrestling event um, feeling a little bit on a downer. What, what was your experience at 18 like compared with 17 especially? Yeah, it was mixed feelings because I think Hogan and Rock was was huge. One of the biggest deals we'd ever seen. And mm. it, I'd say possibly that was a bigger match than, not necessarily a better match, but a bigger match than anything the year before. And it's one that people still look back on fondly now, obviously. But it was followed by not so good uh, stuff. I think the women's match followed that, followed by Triple H and Jericho in the main event, which I think both of them have said themselves since that that should not have been the main event, and the crowd no. was sort of never never reached that peak again that that we were during Hogan versus Rock. Would, would you have done a different match altogether for the title, or would you, or, or would you have done that match but in a different order and put Hogan and Rock on last? I think it it, it had never happened before where. Uh, something other than the main event was the biggest deal on the night. Uh, mm. I think it caught people by surprise with Hogan doing the, the had all the, like you mentioned, the yes or no promo. Hogan says yes, the crowd go wild. That should have been it for me, but it was followed by the angle where Hulk Hogan ran him over in a lorry. And, yeah. um, and they're trying to do the NWO thing, so Hulk Hogan, after nearly 10 years away, was supposed to be booing him, but looking back, that was never going to happen. So the atmosphere was totally unexpected. And um, it was such a big atmosphere in somewhere that obviously Hogan was very popular in from start to finish in his career. It, it just could, you couldn't follow it, but obviously nobody realised that when uh, beforehand. No, and I, I, I don't certainly wrestling and, and, and the, the atmosphere was very different. It was. Uh, it's very difficult to even sort of put into words. It was like a r- absolute rabid atmosphere of everyone around. You looked around and everyone around you was going absolutely nuts for his, yeah. especially his comeback. Um, and it's just like, like, it wasn't even like a, like a sports winning or losing type feel. It was just like everyone just lost the plot. And yeah. I, I'm not sure I've ever been anything, anything quite like that, um, since then. Something that doesn't get talked about much about it is, how much credit The Rock deserves for switching it up. Obviously, the plan was he's the babyface, Hogan's the heel. But The Rock knew straight away, look, that's he's their guy. So he started healing up a bit and doing a few things that he maybe wouldn't have done otherwise. And it changed the um, the match dynamic and for the better. And it, and it came out brilliantly in the end. Yeah, I think absolutely, I completely agree. I think The Rock, in the in the grand scheme of things, is probably a fairly underrated in ring performer. I think. I mean, he's had a lot of really good matches. A lot, even the stuff when he came back. The stuff with Cena was maybe a little bit clunky, but I remember that the match, the first match with Punk at the Royal Rumble in 2013, I just thought was pretty much perfection. And I think he he had that ability and that confidence just to go with it, and he knew it was just going to be all right. Whatever happened, The Rock knew I'm going to be fine. Whatever happened, yeah. Here. Um, and yeah. and uh, as we've seen in the last few years, um, you, you're not, so, I don't know if allowed's the right word, you're not supposed to change from, deviate from what the, the plan is overall. The crowd had 
are booing guys who people expected them to cheer and they just carry on sticking yeah. to the plan, so to speak. The fact that The Rock was able to and, and chose to change everything by becoming the heel mid-match, it, ju- it just made it so much better. Yeah, no, I, com- I completely I completely agree. And I, I, I think, again, you're absolutely right. The, the, the one that I really think about that is the Roman Reigns, the first Reigns-Lesnar-WrestleMania main event when the crowd was booing him out of the building. And there was... Uh, there was no, he might look proud of the There's no real significant heel mannerisms from him at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, that main event was really odd. So I, I, I remember just thinking, this is a Canadian guy in the main event at the Sky Dome, and no one's getting behind him at all. And I actually think that, I still think if that was a different match, people would have been in it, into it. I, I think, unfortunately, they, they just killed the, the Steve Austin turn that I think people don't talk about very much, that I think really killed him, uh, was the invasion one. So I think that. The, the idea, and I know that he wanted to, originally I understand the plan was for him to turn at WrestleMania 2000 before he had, um, before he had the injury. But I thought the turn that really, really finished him off was the invasion one because when he came back on that, on that raw, um, what we want the old Stone Cold back, the crowd went absolutely nuts for him. He, yeah. he was like super focused and that was the time. And I think you could have, re- you could have ridden that all the way through till Triple H's return. Steve Austin's triumphant WF guy that wins out over the invasion. You could have turned anyone, put Jericho as a top heel on the other side, put anyone, you know, spend a bit more money and get Goldberg in early. But whatever you do, I think Steve Austin and Triple H should have been the top match for that, especially given their pairing as the, the power chip, etc. And whatever way you want to do it, we've got to do babyface versus babyface. But I think, you, and then you have Triple H's clean win over Austin. Um, but they didn't do it. And, and Austin was, was really marginalised at that against Scott Hall, sadly. And I think that was... You know, with with so with only one more Steve Austin WrestleMania match to come, you, you think it's such a waste that was that was against him, really. Yeah, yeah. He he said himself he he likes Scott Hall, he likes working with Scott Hall, but he didn't like how he was positioned in the company around that time, and and it was I think in the maybe the second hour of the four hour pay per view, which was not not usual for Stone Cold. But I think getting back to the invasion thing, turning him heel, the the story from what we've all seen on TV and read in books is um, Vince just didn't believe any of the WCW guys were on the same level. He needed nice. a big main event or he didn't believe in Booker T or anyone else like that to be in that position. So he turned his own guy to be the WCW uh, top guy. And the, the sad thing about it is, and I, I think I'm right in thinking this, that the Invasion pay-per-view is the biggest non-WrestleMania pay-per-view in company history. So bigger than any Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, etc. Yeah. So clearly the people believed in them. The, the people believed in them, but that, but it was too, by the time they got that buy rate, it was, it was too late. And there was nothing back then in terms of Google trends or searches or anything like that for them to go on. But I, I just felt at the time, I remember staying up for that in a caravan in Bognor Regis watching <laughs> it on Channel 4. Um, and I just think, I just thought at the time the whole angle has been, um, basically spoiled just for the sake of trying to keep Steve Austin as a heel, and that isn't the right move. But yeah, alas, uh, what what might have been if they spent a bit more money? And I mean, Hogan coming in in February, you think, crikey, you could have bought, why didn't you bring him in back then? But they didn't, they had a salary shock, so they didn't want to, didn't want to break. And it was just, um, yeah, one of those things, yeah. what, what might have been. So following on from um, WrestleMania 18, you, unfortunately, I think, was it your a family member got married the weekend of WrestleMania 19? So you ended up doing the Royal Rumble in 2003, didn't you? I, I yeah, understand. late 2002, yeah. Uh, my brother's, uh, my brother told us that he was getting married 
on the Saturday before WrestleMania would be on Sunday. Mm. And uh, I still haven't forgiven him for that. But, um, <laughs> so plans had to change. And again, I think I was still doing the WWF travel packages or WWE by that point. And um, so my next thing, if I can't do WrestleMania, what am I going to do? I'll go to the Royal Rumble. So that's what I did for 2003 instead. Yeah, and that was, um, what was it, Michaels and Triple H? Uh, I can't remember what that was. It? No, was that was 2004. Thing, the oh, 2003, okay. um, Brock Lesnar won the Rumble, and yeah. uh, the, the title matches were Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit had an amazing match. Here. Oh, I think yes. that was Power Slam's match of the year, 2003, and Triple H versus Scott Steiner, which oh, isn't yeah. remembered as fondly. I think I put that up. Yeah, I am confused it for the 2004 one. But that was, a, I mean, that, I remember that being a pr- pretty good rumble. Obviously, the Benoit Angle match was 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 out of this world, wasn't it? It so, was, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it was Scott Steiner's first WWE match after coming back at Survivor Series, and um, that was pretty much a disaster. Which was the worst one, that or the February match? I think I February was worse. Yeah, February was worse, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I know. I I vaguely remember February being worse. So. um at WrestleMania 19, they announced that WrestleMania 20 was going to be the following year at Madison Square Garden. And I think our plans, so we, we were um, obviously it was in touch by this stage, and I think our plans were set in place fairly early to get, get ourselves involved at this WrestleMania and, and, and try and get ringside seats was, that, was our plan. Yeah, the travel package had three options. The silver package was sort of back in the stands, general admission sort of area as well as the hotel and meet and greets and things like that. The gold package, you'd be sat sort of on the floor, but near the back. And then there was the platinum package, you get a ringside seat. So we, yeah, pretty much as soon as we knew it was going to be Madison Square Garden, we said, and the 20th, which is going to be a big one, we all agreed, uh, let's do ringside. So I, I remember the day, so, th- so they'd moved on a little bit from the post by then. So you would get an email out, but it was pretty round. I don't know if we had any, any idea when this was coming out. Um, but I, I think that we, we were all members of a, uh, um, a wrestling forum, UKFF, um, back in the day. And I vaguely remember maybe there'd been some rumours on then about where it was, when it was coming out. Um, Possibly. Yeah. That might yeah. have been where we found out. Yeah. So I remember being at work quite late in the day and I got the email through. Uh, and back then you had to fax your details off to, to get a, yeah. um, get a place, which again, it seems nuts, but 16 years ago, that's just how it worked. Or seven, probably sixteen and a half years ago. Then, so yeah. we filled down our details, faxed it off, and all you had to clean your hopes on was a fax acknowledgement. And, and then I, I think I'm pretty sure the next day you got an email through from WWE saying you got you got the package, but you didn't know. Um, you do now, like the last one I did, they send you the ticket. Back then, you didn't know what you were basically what you were going to end up getting in terms of seats. So. Um, and, and later as well, I remember they the Hall of Fame that year was an extra. I mean, it wasn't cheap, was it? The Hall? Maybe I'm no, thinking maybe hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was two hundred dollars, wasn't it? But it was. I don't know what we were doing because it was all you could eat and all you could drink. And I suspect if we did that now, we'd probably, or maybe in a couple of years younger, we probably would absolutely abuse that. But back then, I just remember like, oh, I don't have too much to drink, so we really yeah. want to listen to all the speeches, and we were all like that, weren't we? Yeah, and, yeah. and it was. It, I think it it paid off because. The show went way, way long on what they expected. I think it was after midnight when it finished. I think and, it was uh, 1 a.m. by the time Jesse Ventura finished in the, yeah, in the Hilton, remember, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, a few people sort of fidgeting and, and, and sort of losing interest towards the end, but the overriding memory is Vladimir, the super fan from ringside all the way through the 1980s and 90s, he was literally asleep 
behind them. <laughs> uh, I think Joe and Jesse Ventura speak. So that, that was incredible. So to, to going back to, um, so that we, we got there, we flew together. I know, did we fly, we did fly together for that one, didn't we? I think. Uh, I think, uh, not 100%, I think we did. Yeah, I think we did. We didn't for Detroit because we met you there, but we did for, yeah. we did for New York, I think. I think we got there and walked around Times Square and stuff. And it was, I remember it being freezing cold. Um, and then we went back to the hotel and in typical back then WWE sort of complete disorganization. You, you then had to queue up to get your, get your tickets basically and get your package stuff for the hotel for the weekend. Yeah, that was, was the Friday night we arrived and um, that's it. it took ages and ages. And, and the annoying thing was they were showing the uh, menu of Mes- WrestleMania documentary live that's on it. TV that night that I really, really wanted to watch. Um, but we were, and they had them on little TV screens with no volume, so we could sort of see snippets of it depending where we were in the queue, and uh, we missed it. But then, yeah, um, yeah that was the anticipation was, uh, like you said, about getting your tickets there and finding out if you're going to be four rows from the front or literally front row. It could have been, I think it was it front ten, was it platinum? I think. I think eight or ten, yeah. Eight or ten, yeah. So there's a big difference between the back of that and like the first first few. So we queued up probably for a good hour and a half, I would say. At least, yeah. Yeah, because I think I think Mania WrestleMania was probably about half an hour after we started queuing up, and we thought, oh, this would be all right. Uh, but we yeah. queued up, and then we got we got to the front, and I remember them being quite unfriendly. Um, but I think maybe Lewis asked them if they'd ever met Vince McMahon or some, something awkward like that, and we got our tickets, and we found out we were third row. Uh, which I think we were pretty happy about, really. Yeah, we were, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty ecstatic. And there was a few other things. So we had, um, a signature session or an autograph session with some people. Um, I can't remember if I, I can't remember exactly what we did for this one because I remember there was one year I didn't go to it. But, uh, yeah, in I Detroit, think... uh, you and Lewis stayed in bed and I went down and met <laughs> Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, and you got quite a good crowd. But so one of the, one of the, um, a meet and greet sessions and a photo was something that later haunted me. So yeah. you, me, and Lewis met Ray Mysterio and Chris Benoit and had our photo taken with him. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yes. What did you? What did you? What have you done, if anything, with that photo? Uh, it's uh, it, it's hard to say. I mean, Ray Mysterio was one of my favourites then, and he he's just as much now. So mm. I love the fact that I have a photo stood next to Ray Mysterio. But yeah, do you crop it or what do you do with it? So oh, you know, yeah. I. I now, I'm not one of the ones who sort of can't watch a Chris Benoit match. I can, but obviously, you know, I'd, I wouldn't make it my Facebook profile or anything. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, that might be a bit controversial. I, I yeah. think you know this already, but I've I, I told it on the podcast already. But I remember the night he, the night, the day it all happened was just a horrible, horrible day, like really, yeah. really bad. And I remember Lewis came over and we watched, as he would do most weeks, watch. Um, I guess we were getting raw live then, weren't we, by that point? Yeah, we were. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we were yeah, yeah, I stayed up to watch that live because I didn't stay up to watch the pay-per-view where it, all the news was breaking that night. Oh, uh, okay. So, so obviously cause... I woke up on the Monday morning. It had all happened. It was all over the news. So I watched Raw, w- wondering what they were going to do. And that's when um, Vince made his comeback after he, he exploded a few weeks earlier. Yeah, which which was awful in of itself. And I, I I understand that the timeline by the end of Raw, they pretty much knew or were aware that this was you know foul play was was happening here. But I remember that that Tuesday night, so we were, we were you know a bit later in terms of finding out stuff and waiting on the Tuesday morning. But that Tuesday night, I was trying to sleep, and then I realised that the Chris Benoit, me and Ray Mysterio photo was in my bed underneath where I was sleeping. And I honestly don't know what I've done with it. I think it's my mum somewhere buried under a lot of other 
sort of WrestleMania stuff, but it, it just kind of freaked me out. But yeah, it was weird. I mean, it was that was a, that was a bit of a weird. I, th- I I felt that he was. We obviously, you know, no connection to what later happened, but I, I've got the impression that he was quite stressed out that week because I remember we all said to him, sort of, good luck and stuff, and he didn't really have much to say, did he, from, from memory? Yeah, that's right. It, it's not talked about much that period of time because of what come later, but it's a well-known story about Eddie Guerrero around the same time. He finally became champion, which is what he'd worked towards all those mm-hmm. years, and the pressure got him way, way too much, and that's why his reign was cut short. Yeah, managed to get back there again. So that 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 same day, we actually we actually met a very brief Eddie Guerrero. It was it was it was Mysterio again, wasn't it? Because we we were debate. It was was it Batista and Randy Orton on one table and Ray and Eddie on the other? I think. Uh, we were, we were, well, I remember right? Eddie and Don Marie, but I think Mysterio was there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because we touched the title, didn't we? And he was really. I think. I see. I don't. This. This again. This. You feel ridiculous. And you think, why have you not got loads of photos? Stuff. But back in the day, it was like all, all um, disposable cameras and this sort of stuff. I, I right. don't even know if I had a digital, digital camera back then. But I think I remember seeing a photo of you kicking around standing next to Eddie Guerrero. And I guess one of me probably was taken, but I've no idea where that is. And that that was that the now, first but... year I had a digital camera because yeah. I got a good quality photo. It was a selfie style one of me and Eddie. But yeah, I remember I remember the year that. before at the Royal Rumble, I used a disposable camera and none of those 24 come out. No, it was just like a it was like a thing when you got back from a holiday or something. You take your disposable camera to Boots or something, and you just hope for the best, and you get the yeah. wrestling pictures back, and they'd all be absolutely awful. Yeah, um, the lighting in the arenas just didn't suit disposable cameras. No. I've never got any good photos for years. No, but that that Eddie me, he was like he was obviously the pressure absolutely did get to him in, in weeks to come when he was having to fill in the pressure of a draw on the SmackDown side. But he was he was fantastic, but. Fast forward to Sunday night. I mean, that was again. Um, there's not many places that you get goosebumps walking into, but Madison Square Garden was certainly certainly one with all the history in that place. Absolutely, yeah, it was huge, yeah, yeah. Um, and the main event, I think. Um, not, I'm not. I mean, there's been a few decent triple threats in, since this one. I, I remember the Rollins. You'll probably disagree with this, given John Cena's here, but the Rollins Cena and Brock Lesnar match. No, no, that's that's one thing. of my favourite matches. Of the last few years, that was yeah. Even though I think that, was in it. <laughs> that's that's probably on a par for me. But it was an incredible triple threat main event, and and the it was a, it was a the crowd was for Benoit, but I felt that the reaction at the end was was obviously one of massive happiness. But I felt there was a bit of relief actually that actually you know they've gone with a guy that the fans actually like, albeit we don't know how long it's going to be for. But it was a. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think everyone almost sort of was able to breathe and they finally went with Benoit and it was like a, a real moment of celebration. It's obviously... It, I, it I was can, odd. Yeah. Because, uh, the previous year, all the way through the previous year, 2003 was not Triple H's greatest year from my point of view, where the matches didn't really click with sort of... He had a few months in a row with Kevin Nash. He was doing rematches with Shawn Michaels and the Goldberg thing didn't really go well either. But um, at WrestleMania the year before, everything had led to him, to Booker T getting his moment in the sun and beating Triple H for the title, and it didn't happen. It's all happening the same year. He's marrying Stephanie, so all the rumours are, is he picking and choosing who he works with, whether he wins or loses? So I think all that which I complained about throughout 2003, and it drove me wild, I think helped in the end of WrestleMania 20 when he tapped out. It, you know, they could have worked it so Sean was the one to take the fall, but the 
Triple H tapping out to that just made the the moment even bigger, and I think it was the best scenario they could have gone with. Yeah, completely agree. And I think they worked the, the way around. They did the match there, and then the one later in Canada at Backlash with with Michaels eventually submitting. I think that was perfect. You, you're actually right. You didn't want you. We wanted Triple H to lose that match. And yeah. actually, you're, you're completely, I completely agree. I hated Triple H in 2003. I remember the Booker T thing when he pedigreed him and pinned him about 15 minutes later for the title. Really annoyed yeah. me. Um, and I just think he, he was, and some of that was a bit go away heat, but some of it was probably the right side of it as well. But he was proper heel. And the thing I used to quite, the thing looking back now, I didn't mind about him back then is he used to win quite a lot against people without cheating. I think sometimes so there's a little yeah. bit of interference with flair, but I think that's something that's me. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a strong heel that actually wins. Um, and then eventually when the right baby face beats him, it means more they've not been like a chicken shit heel for the whole time of their run, basically. Yeah. Um, so after WrestleMania 20, um, we had a little bit of gap of a gap traveling together, but then we were back together for WrestleMania 23, um, in the lovely Detroit area um, <laughs> at Ford Field. Um, and there was another, there was a Hall of Fame for that one as well. Uh, is that Dusty Rhodes? Yeah. Dusty Rhodes main evented. Yeah. 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 And Jim Ross, I suppose, and, uh, Nick Bockwinkle, et cetera, was in that one as well. Yeah. Mr. Perfect, Jerry Lawler. It was a good year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then 23 was, it was a bit of a funny, funny event, wasn't it? I mean, Ford Field was spectacular and I, and I think the event was probably pretty good up to a point. Actually, do you know what? The main event was really, really good as well, but I think everyone felt a bit miserable at the end of that show because we were getting to the point of probably enough, we've had enough for John Cena, but that, but I, I also felt that, and it, you, you tell me what you think, but I, I don't think anyone really believed that Michael was going to, was going to win the title in that, in that scenario. No, absolutely. Um, the, that was one where you mentioned leaving WrestleMania 18. I remember leaving uh, Ford Field after WrestleMania 23, and pretty much everyone was sort of, yeah, it was okay. It wasn't a bad show, but there was nothing sort of blew you away. Um, yeah. Batista and Undertaker I actually enjoyed more than Cena and Michaels. Yeah, and a lot again, of because they really it, wanted the last match, didn't they? they really wanted yeah, to they go placed it in the middle yeah. of the show, and mm. it was great. And the money in the bank match at the start of the show was great too. But then, sort of, they sort of worked the way through until you got to the main event, and it wasn't the high point for me of the show again. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it certainly you knew in 2007, Shawn Michaels wasn't having any bad matches, so you knew it was going to be a great match. But yeah, I think, like you said, the predictability of it, he'd made, he'd done interviews and, and all sorts. I don't think he'd written his autobiography by then, but saying, you know, um, I'm, I'm not about winning the title. When he won it in 2002 at Survivor Series, I believe people had to persuade him to go over in that match. Um, yeah, and that was really that's not what he was there for. I, I found that quite frustrating because he would be cycled. I love Michaels, and he'd be cycled into a lot of big matches, which would be Jericho or Orton, etc. But if you'd always know, and I think we always had a feeling, you always hoped that he would do, even if he had a couple of months or whatever. But he never, he never won the title again after that, and I think that was a mistake. And I do wonder if he if he looks back on that thinking as a kind of a mature. I know he had a lot of problems and he came back and he probably had a, still a feeling of you know I just don't want that pressure. But now looking back, I think he should have he should have had a title a couple more times during that period. And I think that would have made a lot of these outcomes um a bit more exciting. And you know they could have done they could have traded that they could have done um where, where did well they, they had the hour long uh, match on Raw didn't they that was yeah and he won didn't he? Later. so yeah. they could have switched it there but. Yeah, exactly. They they definitely could have done, but um, yeah, a bit bit of an odd one. And then um, we all missed 
WrestleMania 24, uh, well, not all, our friend Stuart went out there, but that's probably yeah. my biggest regret in terms of not going to WrestleMania to not see Flair's WWE retirement, basically. Yeah, my, mine's WrestleMania 19, not seeing Stone Cold's last match. Yeah. Um, thanks to my brother. But um, 24, yeah, I mean, that whole weekend with the Hall of Fame on the Saturday and then the match itself, it, it was Flair's best match in maybe 10 years or 15 years. Uh, thanks mostly to Shawn Michaels, but obviously yeah. both of them. It was it was such a moment, and then the Raw as well. I think Stuart went to the Raw the next night. It was just as big a moment. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't believe. It. I remember sitting there eating a tub of ice cream, feeling like I'd been dumped by like a long term boyfriend or girlfriend or something there, because it was just one of the worst feelings to see yeah. that. And so, but we did get back together. Get back together. There's, there's a, a, a Taylor Swift song coming in there um, for, for WrestleMania 25 in Houston. Um, Reliance Stadium, just next door to the Astrodome. Um, the dilapidated Astrodome. Yeah, the post-Hurricane post Katrina Astrodome, I think, at that point. Uh, I don't know. I, I know they used the Superdome after Katrina, was the Astrodome. Yeah, I think they used Astrodome as well, but I might, yeah. I might be getting my dates wrong there. It might have been after that that Katrina happened, but certainly it was on on its last legs. But yeah, the Houston, the Houston WrestleMania was probably not a million miles away from the um, the 23 year. And we all said the Hall of Fame ceremony was for Steve Austin when they counted yeah. him down and gave him like 10 minutes, was it, for his speech? Yeah, that that was the year I decided I'd never do Hall of Fame again because yeah. I think the earlier guys like Coco Beware, Howard Finkel got literally three or four minutes to talk, plus the same again for their inductors. And I think uh, Rick Flair and Ricky Steamboat got maybe seven or eight minutes, and Austin got ten minutes. It, it was a show where they had. You think of how good talkers these people are. You had Steve Austin, Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk, Jim Ross, Rick Flair, all these guys that were restricted. When the year before, I think The Rock had spoke for nearly an hour. Rick Flair had had about thirty minutes, and um, I, I couldn't believe they'd restricted it. It was because it was the first year they did it live on TV, so they had yeah. that, those restraints. It was just, it was just a bit of a mess, wasn't it? Um, I remember having a raging, raging hangover. I think you guys got a day later and we went out in Houston. I, I was in terrible. Lewis was even worse than me, and um, we were in a terrible state. And but yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, WrestleMania 25 as, as, as an event was, was. I remember watching this back not all that not all that long ago, and actually, um, up to the end of obviously Undertaker Shawn Michaels was was unbelievable, one of the best matches in WrestleMania history. And actually, even the triple threat match that came after that was was pretty fast paced, decent action. Yeah. But again, you had the curse of Triple H in the main event, and that just Torrid match, Randy yeah. Orton. I think that was the first year I remember where the build to WrestleMania started really good around the Royal Rumble and, and weeks after, and it started fizzling out. It, there was too big a gap between the start of the build and the show itself, which is something I find a lot of these days, where Randy Orton was taking out Shane McMahon, taking out Stephanie McMahon, and um, and it was really exciting, sort of late January, early February. And then by the time it came around in April, they were running out of things to do other than Triple H destroying Randy's fake house. And oh, yeah. And his fake wife. Yeah. yeah. That was the year when Randy Orton was like absolutely on fire at the end of, end of Royal Rumble. And then the Shane McMahon feud absolutely killed him, didn't they? And, and, yeah. then, they, and then they beat him at WrestleMania. Which is, you, we're all sitting there thinking, oh, Stephanie's going to turn on Triple H or something like that. And just, it just, he went in as champion, he won, and that was it. It's like, yeah. and it was a, it was a match. What was it? Would he could he lose the title under disqualification? It was some weird stick, wasn't it? Something yeah, like I think that. that was exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So just 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 bizarre, bizarre booking. Um, so yeah, that was that was that was actually it for us all, really, for a number of years in terms of in terms of actual travelling to the states. I think we all we all got to a point in life where other commitments were unfortunately piling on, and it was time to live in a bit a bit of reality. But you, had... yeah, that was the year I got a mortgage for the first time for me. Oh, was it? Yeah, I'd moved out of home the year before, um, so that was like, oh god, I've got, I've literally going to bankrupt myself if I ever try and do one of these trips again. But you you had a um, incredible stroke of luck in 2015, I think, if I've got my yep. years right. So why don't you tell us about SummerSlam that year and how you ended up in Barclays Centre for that one. Yeah, it's one of the um, things they do online quite regularly where I don't even remember the name of the website. They call it a raffle in that you donate some money to a charity. I think it's involved with the Rain charity that Mick Foley has a lot to do with. And um, that and lots of celebrities put up these huge star prizes, like Robert Downey Jr. did one the other year. You could walk the red carpet to the Avengers movie with him, things like that. So one pops up on somewhere online of Triple H saying you'd be my guest at SummerSlam in New York, um, where you go to NXT on the Saturday, SummerSlam on the Sunday, Raw on the Monday, and come backstage, meet the wrestlers, and trip of a lifetime. So I donated, I literally bought, you can buy one ticket or 10 tickets or 50 tickets or whatever. I bought one ticket <laughs> and, I, and I won. Um, so I got an email, I think it was maybe 10 days before SummerSlam, saying you've won. Um, tell us your local airport, airport and we'll sort everything out. So I didn't have a passport at the time because uh, it had expired and I had to get all that sorted the following weekend. But um, yeah, I flew over from Manchester, um, stayed in a time squ- big Times Square hotel, and we got tickets to the first uh, NXT takeover in Brooklyn. That was that year. And um, I we had fairly standard seats for that quite near the back of the arena, um, but it was a fantastic show. And then decent seats for SummerSlam. And then on Raw on the Monday, I was sort of invited backstage before the show um, and I met the wrestlers, and we went out onto the stage uh, to see what was going on in the ring before the door opened, and it, it was an unbelievable, it certainly was a trip of a lifetime, it was unbelievable. So you, you had some, some interesting chat, I mean, you had, a, you had a quite a decent chat with Triple H and, and a few different people during the during Yeah, the I, I realistically thought it'd be a case of, he'd come over, he'd say hello, shake my hand, get a nice photo, and be on his way. He was a busy man. But uh, to be fair, he stopped for, I believe it was 10 or nearly 15 minutes, just talking about family, all the shows at Sheffield Arena. I I said that was my local one and and how many times I'd seen him there and all the rest of it. I'd just, um, my son had just been born four months earlier, so my wife didn't want to come with me. I I won two tickets, so I took my mum with me. And the paranoia was there all weekend of the wrestling fan stereotype. Like, here's a guy in his 30s who's brought his mum his, his with him. So my mum, to be to her credit, was the one who pointed out, literally, as soon as we shook his hand, she said, his wife's at home with their young baby. That's why I'm here. And, um, and that triggered a conversation about kids and bringing them up in school and all that stuff. It, it was amazing. He said it was one of his daughter's birthday that day. And uh, she was out in the ring uh, doing some moves with Natalia. And it was just like talking to a guy on the street, not some huge guy who a celebrity who I've, who I've been a fan of all those years. He, he couldn't have been 
any nicer. It was a yeah, fantastic that's so weekend. Cool. And I guess uh, he presented me with a title belt and uh, got all the wrestlers to sign it backstage and everything. It, it was unbelievable. That's so incredible. And that was the show that was the, the uh, is it Lesnar and Undertaker? That yes. That yeah. yeah with was. the tap out finish, wasn't it? When, was it tap out finish? Yeah. Cause there was some, it was, a, it was quite Something well where the bell rang and, um, yeah. it, it threw everyone off. And, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a confusion confusing mess but uh it was a good match no, I, I remember actually well, but maybe maybe I'm, I'm remembering one, but i remember thinking when they first called the bell i thought oh that was that was crap but then, then actually they tried to replay it it was actually i think from memory it was really well done i can't remember the exact mechanics of it now but undertaker did something to cheat didn't he to get yeah to keep lesnar in the move i think yeah um, yeah yeah but it was it was it was really well done and that that's a pretty uh that barclay center was pretty good atmosphere for, for that and um is it's your place to watch wrestling yeah it was it was um it was fantastic and um i i, I was so pleased i got to see because i'd been a fan of nxt for for since its inception but i was really into that as much as if not more than raw and smackdown around that time so there was finn balor and kevin owens in their main event but it was the famous sasha banks and bailey match um which is one of my favorite matches um uh, ever um we saw on the nxt show and then backstage at the Raw, I managed to meet Sasha Banks and I told her it's, I've been a fan this long, it's been uh, one of my favourite matches I've ever seen and she was very uh, she was very friendly as well. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I mean, that's got, I mean, I, I, I can't sit here and say that I've seen all Japan women from the 90s and etc, etc et but that that's the best women's match I've ever seen and it must yeah. be high up in terms of American American women's wrestling, I would have thought, um, in terms I'd, I'd put that up against anything that anyone could any expert that knows Miles more than me would put up against that. It was phenomenal, especially yeah. the finish, Kaiki, reverse Hurricane Rana, and like so brave. And you, you just, I feel sad those that were where both of those. I mean, sat, they're so very popular, but they were superstars back then. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. And after the match, they had the send off where Becky Lynch and Charlotte come out, so they did the four horsewomen group hug and everything because yeah. um, I think three of them except Bailey were already on Raw by that point, and they. Never worked NXT again, other than Sasha's Iron Woman match at the following takeover, which was actually really good in and of itself, wasn't it? I that was that another being, brilliant that match, yeah. really, really good match. So those two were two were great. So we did manage to get one more WrestleMania in, um, which was your fortieth birthday in, uh, in New York, um, just 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 about a year ago now for WrestleMania thirty-five. So um, yeah, that was a that was a great weekend. It was. Um, Again, it was a, it was a WrestleMania that had a really really spectacular moment with Kofi Kingston um, winning winning that title after a fantastic story. I mean, it was it was wonderful being there, but it was again it was one where you know you came out. I don't think you'd ever you should ever. I think with WrestleMania and the, the quality that WWE have got, you should, I don't think you should ever come out of WrestleMania feeling at, at all deflated. You might yeah. be in a situation where your favorite person doesn't win uh, for the rights and wrongs out a booking decision, but it was an odd one, wasn't it? It was really long. And they, they, that, that match, I think, got in the ring at maybe, what was it, 20 past midnight? That, that women's match. It was definitely after midnight, yeah. Yeah. It, it's the, the dynamic they go with and they've been going with for the best part of 10 years now, where instead of the show having a main event, they think they've got enough superstars, big superstars to do four or five main events, one in the first hour, one in the second hour, and so on. I mean, Daniel Bryan and Kofi was right in the middle there. And then by the time the main event, the final match, should I say, comes on, 
you know, the crown had, had seen everything and um, and the women, you know, put on a good match, but the atmosphere was a fraction of what it had been for Brian and Kofi. Yeah, I agree. What, what is interesting, your, your thoughts on this? Because I've heard a lot of um, conflicting views about this. So AEW tends to follow the WWE model of this when it comes to presenting pay-per-views during their um, short lifespan so far in terms of um, rather than just match by match and the biggest things at the end and then the second biggest thing second to it, they they will have a, you know, the, the Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and Young Bucks at the end of the first hour and like the WWE do, they'll have these buffer matches. Do you think yeah. that's do you think that's the right way to go or do you think the New Japan which literally can do this in Portland and, it, and the match has got to stand on its own on two legs to, to, to make it or not on whatever comes before it, it is what it is. What, what, do, you, do you think one's right or over the other or is there a happy medium? It's hard to say. I mean, they, they do push one match as the main event. They made such a big deal out of last year's women's three-way. and um, But um, they have got the big names doing the big 30-minute matches, the main event style matches throughout the show. So it's just sort of potluck as to whether is the last match going to be the one that the crowd are most excited about, most looking forward to, or is one of the other ones just, I mean, like you said, the, the build-up to Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan was, in my opinion, the best um, build to a match last year, more so than Rollins and Lesnar, more so than Becky Lynch, Charlotte and Ronda Rousey. And um, that was the one I think the crowd wanted to see the most. Uh, yeah, I mean, I Rollins and Lesnar got a great reaction before it, but obviously that was literally the first match of the main show, so the crowd were red hot, ready to go at that point. Five hours later, the women didn't get as much of a reaction. No, and I think that's the key point. Whatever, whatever you do in terms of match order, if you're, if you're, I mean, what time did we get to the state? Because we didn't get there for the very start, maybe five p.m. I mean, we got, we got. Yeah, I think the, down, yeah. the pre-show was five till seven, so we got there just as the women's battle royal was sort of midway through. So let's say half five, and we left there, what, quarter to one? one yeah. hour. So we were in that stadium a hell of a long time, actually too long. We've been there seven any... hours, and we'd, we'd already missed some action. Yeah, and it was, get, I tell you, it was getting cold, and it started pouring with rain just after we left. I remember it was raining yeah. in the car on the way back. But I think you, you, you can't, there's no, no one's got the divine right to be on WrestleMania. And I think this is where WWE is, is, is kind of gone wrong on this. WrestleMania should be more than four hours main show, maybe an hour pre-show. And then I yeah. think if you do a four-hour main show and that, and that women's match is getting in the ring at 11 o'clock, you could have had Kofi and Daniel Bryan just before and Seth and Brock just before that. I think the crowd is red hot for that, that women's main event because the Becky Lynch character back then was was very strong. Um, and I think that still she's still got a good reaction, even though they botched the finish, she's still got a good reaction when they won, when she won. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I think they need to look at that. But um, while we're on it, we're probably going to date ourselves because we're, we're recording this on the 17th. Um, and by the time it comes out on Sunday, um, then this might have changed. But what are your what are your thoughts on the behind closed doors WrestleMania? And, and I mean, it's such an immaterial thing in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, it's, as wrestling fans, you can't help but think about this sort of stuff, just like we do with, with football stuff as well. So yeah, what what do you think about what decisions they've made? Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it uh, how it's going to be such a unique atmosphere because. I mean, using Rock and Hogan as an example, imagine that match with no crowd. It's a fraction of what yeah. it ended up being. Uh, the crowd reaction helped so much. So it's going to be unique, and I'm certainly interested to see it and how they're going to do it. But um, uh, 
by then we'll have seen it a number of times already. Smackdown's last week uh, was already in the same building in front of the same non-audience. And then we've got Raw, NXT and Smackdown for the next few weeks the same. So mm. I'm sure they'll dress it up and uh, have some uh, surprises for us. But one one thing that could be considered a plus if you're taking out the grandiose entrances that have become a staple of WrestleMania's, uh, it might get the length of the show back down below five hours, hopefully nearer sort of three and a half, which would stop. In terms of sat at home watching it, you can even get burnt out, same as you can in the stadium yourselves. Um, so that that might be something, but I'm sure, like I said, there'll be more things, surprises uh, on the night. And uh, it'll be interesting to see which superstars sort of take the opportunity to do something with that with the fact that it's in a small, empty arena, rather than just do your usual routine, playing to the crowd, coming out, waving and smiling. Hopefully someone someone along the lines of our truth, I'm sure, has got some ideas if we can do something with that, uh, being in that atmosphere. And and my other thing, I'd say it's a shame for Drew McIntyre as much as anyone. Yeah. Big, presuming he's going to get his crowning moment, winning the title in the main event, in what he thought was going to be 90,000 fans going wild, it's going to be um, a bit uh, quiet. I wonder if they hold off on that, actually, now. Or, or don't go with it. He, he may not get the title at all in that circumstance. You can, you can see a big argument for he'll, he'll win at this when there's no, there's no crowd reaction saved for another day. Yeah. I, I, I do. Um, I watched, I caught quite a lot of the Wrestle Talk show last night that Will Ospreay put on. Um, and I can't call the guys, the main, they got the, um, my mind is blanking on who was the match before Osprey and B Priestley. Osprey and B Priestley was the main event, and it was interesting enough—the boyfriend versus and girlfriend match. But they were killing each other in there, and it was it was entertaining. But it's it's such a wrestling is a real tough thing to watch with an empty arena. And Raw, yeah. I haven't seen any of Raw last night, but I understand they replayed the whole of the men's Royal Rumble, and actually there was only about four or five minutes of new wrestling that took place because Vince apparently didn't like the wrestling element of the, of the empty arena SmackDown. And we've got a few weeks to go um, of wrestling for WrestleMania, and I, and I, I do have to, I do wonder who who wants to see this. I suppose I think people will watch. And, and the other thing someone tweeted me today is they wonder whether WWE will do a deal with a network to get this get WrestleMania on on TV, and like it'd be a big celebration that we're we're doing we're giving giving the people some entertainment kind of thing where where, no, where nothing else is going on. I think that's a lot a lot of it knowing the the ego that Vince McMahon is supposedly got that and the sort of bragging rights he'd get from you know everyone else is cancelling their stuff but WWE's still putting shows on I yeah think, uh, that might be a factor in there the thing but I like, do sorry like I said if um if it was the sort of first time they'd done it you've got the intrigue there but the fact we're going to see it on Raw Smackdown and NXT for the next few weeks uh that's gone it's sort of we know what it's like now in front of a live audience it's going to be just another show. Other than, I'm sure, you know, they always pull something out of the bag for WrestleMania, but that their options are certainly limited. The thing, the thing I do wonder about, um, and I've heard a couple of people on podcasts, Meltzer included, talking about wh- why they didn't tape more shows yesterday. Because the thing that might well ha- probably will happen, I think, I think we've got we've got to face up to this, is that the likelihood is one of the guys or girls is probably going to get. And if they've been around other people at taping, they're all isolating for 14 days. And then, or, or the other thing is, they're talking about um, gatherings of, of, of up to 10 people not being allowed. So 
I don't know how you, 10 people with camera crews, commentators, you, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to stagger wrestlers coming in and out. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, immaterial in the grand scheme of things. But as a sports fan, it's just interesting how, how this is all going to, going to wash through, really. And um, what yeah. are you, what are you, forgetting the current situation, what, what do you tend to keep, keep in touch with now in terms of your watching habits? Um, well, a good few years ago, uh, well, it was when we moved house five years ago, I stopped watching Raw and SmackDown because I no longer had uh, Sky TV. And mm. I actually found when I watched the pay-per-view at the end of each month, I enjoyed it so much more because I hadn't been watching week to week. And I was looking forward to seeing wrestlers wrestle. Whereas I went through a stage in the mid in the mid-2000s, let's say, where I was watching as much as I possibly could every minute of it. And I'd find myself sort of being negative on it and complaining about it online. I was one of those. And um, and the less I watch, I think, the more I enjoy it. So I watch WWE pay-per-views, um, some weeks of NXT TV and Dynamite TV. And um, and then, the yeah, I'm just a pay-per-view watcher more than anything else. And I, certainly nine times out of ten, I'll really enjoy the pay-per-view. Yeah, and I, I think that's... Um... I mean, who's crikey, who's got four hours a week with, with cutting out the advert breaks to watch watch wrestling? I, I, I certainly haven't. I think that's probably one of the reasons why they're losing losing viewers. Um, in one one thing before we try and push forward with the review, and um, what we t- I had a chat with on the last podcast about three hour rules. What what do you think? There's any possible format that could make a three hour rule work, or do you think it's always going to ultimately end up, even if you had really hot stars, always gonna ultimately end up with a losing audience or middling audience over time? Well, funnily enough, I think the key is actually less wrestling. wrestling mm-hmm. The quality of the wrestling's never been an issue in WWE. The matches are good, obviously. that They all know what they're doing. But um, things Dynamite has done it a bit lately. If they put in a video package that might be five or ten minutes long, which is difficult when you've got a live audience stood watching the screen, but um, things like like that to break up the in-ring action, I think will keep interested rather than match, match, well, match interview, match interview, match interview uh, in the ring. So that could help. But I mean, three hours, it's it's so long. There's so much. And it's like we were saying about squeezing everyone onto the WrestleMania card. With a three-hour show, and other than the occasional maybe 20, 25-minute match, you haven't got that long to do matches, which means more wrestlers on the show. And you're seeing them wrestle the same people week after week. Yeah. And the stories are just um, being dragged out instead of building logically towards something. I mean, the, the Lashley, Lana and Rusev thing earlier in the year was so odd in that it started off, you knew where they were heading. They started having matches, but then they just continue having matches. And the storyline sort of stuttered and stuttered until, OK, that's enough now. They can wrestle other people. And yeah. it, just, it just broke the rules of what the rules used to be on on how to build a feud towards um, a match or a series of matches. Yeah, I completely agree. I just don't think anyone's got any interest in a lot of ten or fifteen TV, ten, ten or fifteen TV, ten or fifteen minute TV matches um, between people that are, are facing each other every few weeks. One person wins one week, one person wins the other. Um, I think AEW have done a pretty good job overall. Um, some of their countdown stuff has been among the best television I've seen for a long time. But yeah. um, again, I think they're they're missing a trick slightly with their pay-per-view model because I think that the lulls after the pay-per-views are quite challenging. They, they they peak quite well for pay-per-views, but then they 
they really um really lull a bit afterwards. It's because and, of the long break, isn't it? Between yeah, those yeah, and it's, it reminds me a lot of the old WrestleMania to SummerSlam break, which is always the bigger one before King of the Ring was a thing. And I just I just felt that was a uh, you're just a bit too far away from the next big big thing happening, really. Um, anyway, so shall we press on with um, the Mid South review of the 24th of March, 1984, um, which is episode 237 on YouTube? So I know, uh, Mark, that you've watched a few episodes prior to this in preparation for this. This, and I think you've got a pretty good episode here to um, to be reviewing yeah. today. Yeah, it was it was an enjoyable show. Yeah. Yeah. So at the desk, we have Boyd Pierce along with Jim Ross, um, and Pierce is sounding somber um, and saying that they're moving into the semi-finals of the TV tournament with Terry Taylor versus Hatchel Butch, Hacksaw Butchery. Um, no uh, TV title brackets, unfortunately, for you this week, Mark, which I feel I've <laughs> no. cheated you out of commenting on those lovely cardboard there, brackets. There was one thing I noticed last week I wanted to mention. Obviously, oh, go it's, on, all, yeah. it's all handwritten and um, looks as it looks, which you've commented on a few times. But last week, where somebody had wrote through JYD's name forfeit uh, because he was out the tournament, it was literally a mix of capital letters and lowercase letters throughout the word forfeit, like they couldn't decide which one to go with. Oh wow! And it just made it even look uh, look even more <laughs> sm- uh, amateurish, let's say. Than, I wonder uh, if that was in the first place because they 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 thought actually the word forfeit. Because it's a bit of a, you know, I've given up or not in it kind of thing. Maybe they've, yeah. they've gone up the conventional route for that. I think it was F-O-R-F in capitals and then E-I-T in lowercase. Oh, that's awful. That doesn't work. Now. I thought they'd gone, in, gone one, one after the other. It might have made a bit more sense. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not having that. That's, that's, that's <laughs> no good. Um, so Boyd Pierce sounding like um, he's very sad and not had a very good day. He explains that Cowboy Bill Watts was supposed to be with him this week. But something has just happened before they went on air. He, he, even asked, he even asked JR if he could um, could explain to the viewers because that's how upset he was. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't believe that this open. Um, so Ross goes on to explain what happened. And he says that moments ago, before going on air, Bill Watts was doing an up-close interview with Terry Taylor, and which they then cut to. I found this a bit odd. So this, this freeze-frame video they showed a few weeks ago when they were introducing Terry Taylor. But you... I don't know how you felt, but I just was thinking, why are they showing this again? I just want them to cut to the chase of whatever's, whatever's happening here. I felt exactly the same. They're saying something really shocking has happened, and then they took literally 10 minutes to get to what had happened between yeah. an interview and a video, and then another interview and a video, and then the shocking thing happened. Yeah, I mean, what, do you, had, you, had you seen this video before? Was this the first time you'd seen no, it? No, I hadn't. I hadn't seen that Terry Taylor video. Um, I thought it was... It, it was unusual with the, the amount of different modelling photo shoots he did. He had so many different outfits on. But yeah. uh, the in-ring action, there was one part where he did four consecutive drop kicks on both Russians, uh, Darso and Volkov. Yes, and were, yeah, he did. were perfect drop kicks, all four in a row. I was very impressed with that. Yeah, it's just, I don't know if you heard, like, maybe five or six weeks ago, one of the guys um, who lived through this era said, uh, era said that he thought at the time that Terry Taylor was far more popular than Magnum T.A., which I found astounding, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which was really interesting. So they show the whole video package again um, and they cut back to Watson Taylor at ringside and Taylor says he's a nervous wreck having to wrestle a man like Hacksaw yeah. Butch Reed, um, which I thought was a bit more an old... It's not really a very baby-faced type thing to say, is it, really? It, it was... Yeah, it was sort of the plucky underdog stuff. Uh, there was a nervous wreck. I've, I've been very lucky to get this far, and I'm happy to be here. All the all the white meat, baby face sort of uh, things that you could come out with. He, he had all the cliches. 
Yeah, and there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, apparently. Yeah. And, and then he goes back to Ross and he says that Bill Watts then interviewed Butch Reed and then a tragic incident happened when a melee ensued. So, again, they cut to a video package here, this time set to Rapper's Delight. This is a new one. I've not seen this one before, Butch Reed. Um, yeah. And this mainly shows highlights of him hitting big moves on opponents while cutting back to him doing his boots up. <laughs> yeah, um, putting his socks and boots on. Yeah, yeah so I don't know why that's why is that impressive. And then he's walking through a door um, and then he's in he's in uh, in the gym doing a bench press, some arm curls and later some squats. Um, and at the end, Reed is shouting at the camera that he is the best and he's going to get his North American title back. Um, and then at ringside, he, uh, Reed says Taylor is a tough kid. I thought it was a nice touch to... You know, give the baby face a little bit of credit. Um, but he is a kid and I thought this one, this baby laugh that $10,000 makes his blood just flow and he's going to prove to everyone who the man is. So still we have no resolution to this. Uh, what, what, what we six, seven, eight minutes in at this point? Um, yeah. Yeah. And when we still haven't had the angle that, that Boyd Pierce was almost crying about. And um, so at this point, Cornette comes out shouting and he's without a microphone. Um, and then Watson implores for someone to get this guy out of here. Um, and then the like, yeah, the word, the, the S word came out again um, from from Watts, not not the most PC gentleman in the world. No. Um, and then the Midnight Express appear and attack attack Watts. Um, Connett starts whipping. I thought it was a belt, but um, they later said it what well, it wasn't. Did you have any idea what this was? That no, I think Jim Ross with? later called it a slapjack or a blackjack. And yeah, a slapjack is what Stevie Ray used to use in WCW, but I still okay. don't know what that is. No, I yeah, yeah. Some kind of truncheon, but watching watching it back again, it's sort of not as rigid as a truncheon. It looked more like something inside a sock or something. The way he was swinging yeah, on the head. So um, I thought it was a nice touch here when the attack was happening. Butch Reed just glances back at them and he walks off. So yeah, he had a look and he seemed to think about it and then just walked away. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so this attack continues. I thought it was interesting that only only a couple of referees came out first, and the Midnight Express sort of scarpered. Um, but then a few wrestlers came out, and you could see that Terry Taylor was there, and also Lanny Popper and a few, and a few others. Yeah, Rock and Roll um, Express, yeah. Yeah, and then um, Ross at the desk says it was even more shocking the second time round, and that Bill Watts was severely lacerated by the three individuals. Um, I thought Ross was really, really good here, um, as you kind of expect him to be. Um, but yeah, I thought the angle was great, but I thought there was a way to do this whole thing without having those video packages. I thought if you just start the show and don't have the commentator saying, oh, this has just happened, you could do the whole thing exactly as it was, but without the first bit. Well, what, what did yeah. you think of all of this? Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, they could have took out the introduction, started with the interviews, and then the, the shocking thing happens, then the commentators can sort of recap it after the fact. Um, yeah, exactly. Very strange. Another one was... Um, exactly. Then the group of people who come out just before the camera cut away, uh, Grizzly Smith walked out, and that's a rare on-screen appearance, I think, for Grizzly in Mid-South. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he's been, he's been in... He was, the only time I can remember seeing him was when he was announcing that Magnum CA was number one contender in a, in a, in a segment backstage. But yeah, he isn't yeah. very often... They refer to him quite often on commentary about Grizzly Smith is going to have to do something about this or, or make a match. But uh, yeah. yeah, that was unusual to see him on-screen. Yeah, so he, he's considered to be the, um, the, basically the matchmaker in the background. It's interesting, the, um, the booker at this time, so Bill Dundee had come, up, come over from Memphis and he was predominantly doing booking duties with a, with a, a talent exchange of people from Memphis. Um, it, I've, I've sent you a, a picture, but I've just, ha- I've just had arrive, um, the Wrestling Observer newsletter from April 84 all the way through to 
uh, just after WrestleMania one. I mean, it's not this. It's, it appears to be monthly at the start. I've just sort of read the first one, but he Meltzer talks about Bill Dundee um, coming over and, and the promotion being very Memphis-like in its booking recently. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have too much about it. The Mid South section is disappointingly small, sadly. Um, so after the break, we've got Obi Davis and Josh Stroud, and they're introduced by Jim Ross putting double deuces, comment, commentator and ring announcer. Um, and then Cornette is back out and he grabs a mic and he asks, how you idiots like what you've just seen? Um, and he said, when the Midnight Express first came to Mid-South Wrestling, they were told that some things were sacred and not to be messed with. And the top of that list was Jim, was Bill Watts. Now you've seen what happens when anyone puts their hands on him. Um, and then the Midnight Express come out. And do, do the fact that they're not wearing matching robes annoy you as much as it does me? Not as much, but I did make a note of that. Literally all <laughs> four guys in that match were wearing four completely different things. I can understand the, the kind of jobber tag team not wearing right, matching robes, but it's like the Midnight yeah. Express have worn matching robes. Just come on, guys. get, get buddy Not only different colours, but the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton's got long tights and uh, Condry's got short trunks. and It's yeah, just completely it's different. Very, very poor. Um, so Boyd Pierce calls Connor arrogant as he approaches the desk and he tells and Cornette tells Ross to leave, which he doesn't actually do. Um, Eaton looks crisp as ever and Cornette puts over his team um, Condry hits a big elbow in the face of Stroud and Cornette says I hope that boy didn't have a big dinner um, <laughs> and then he adds that he's sorry for being sweaty but they had to take, some, take care of some business earlier what did you think of Cornette's because Cornette's commentary is quite a while here so what, what did you think of this early early bit with him he, he's he's so confident and comfortable uh, on the microphone I, I actually googled it to see how old he was in, oh in yeah I'm interested in this yeah. years old 22, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, he's so good on camera. I did notice when he was in the ring, um, before the match, uh, there's a second hard camera. It's very odd that they've got two literally hard cameras in the stands. Yes. Uh, because yes. he's talking from a different sort of angle, um, looking sideways from what the original hard camera was. But yeah, I mean, how good he is on the microphone. And when he sat at the desk and started doing play by play, I thought I knew it was going to be a good show. Yeah. This whole segment with him was, was really, really great. Um, so back in ring, the Express struggles to get Stroud up for what they're calling the Grave Digger, um, which is basically Eaton passing his opponent's conjuring a suplex position for him to slam him down. Yeah, he right. nearly dropped him, didn't he? He did. He and Stroud is a big boy as well, so I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, and then ultimately, Eaton hits a lovely looking flying elbow for the win off the second rope. I think they're not allowed to come from the top rope in mid-south. Mid um, oh, I didn't realise that. I did notice it was from the second. Yeah, I think that's the thing. So he hits the flying elbow for the win in 150. Um, and they continued the beat down after the match. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a Jim, uh, Jim Rossism, a, a Bill Wattsism in that you can't do top rope manoeuvres and you can't, obviously you can't be thrown over the top rope in this side because that's a DQ. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after the break, uh, Ross is missing, um, as he's on ring announcer duty and Jim Cornette still sat with Boyd, who asked if he's going to carry on sitting there. Um, if, so he says, Boyd says to Cornette that if he's, he's going to carry on sitting there, he needs to just comment on the match that's happening. Um, and in ring now, we have a treat for Mr. Wrestling 2, the new North American champion versus Elite Lanny Popo. Um, so Cornette is just sort of smashing one-liners out here. Um, and it's actually a little bit difficult to follow what's happening in the ring, um, because really this is, a, this is a Cornette showcase. Yeah, the um, camera pulls away from the ring to show them quite a bit at the desk. Yeah. So Cornette complains that the headphones don't fit in properly because Jim Ross's head is bigger than his. Um, and he also says that Mr. Wrestling 2 has finally shown his true colours um, in, in the angle with Magnum CA that's sort of finally played out now. Um, and Boyd implores him to stay with the match. Cornette says that now the Midnight Express are out of the ring, he doesn't see much that's worth looking at. Um, Boyd cuts him off again as he runs down Bill Watts. 
And Cornet says he's not to be touched by riffraff. And he <laughs> saw what happens when someone violates his face. I mean, this is just gold. I mean, this is all off the cuff. I mean, said, yeah. I said last week. This is all out. No one in WWE would be able to be allowed. Maybe some of the top guys would be allowed to do this, but he's just out there doing what he wants and he's been trusted and that's what makes it great. He said to Boyd at one point, I didn't recognise you without your suit plugged in because mm. of his wacky coloured suit. So, yeah, another great line. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember you saying last week actually about um, Pierce's role is more of a host than a play-by-play guy. So yeah. having JR, uh, Jim Ross away from the desk and Cornette there, uh, Pierce did take on a bit more of a play-by-play position. Yeah, he had to. And it's, it's funny because Cornette asked him just after that, he asked Boyd to add something interesting to the show today, depart from the norm. And it's just like these little, these, it, it reminds me a lot of Heenan on commentary um, yeah. in the 90s, or in 80s and 90s. It's just like, he's just so good and like so, so quick. Um, and he, he, he was just great. Um, in ring, Poffo fires back with some punches before Mr. Rescue breaks his face and hits his big knee. Um, Poffo does his best to strike back, gets stopped in his tracks again. Um, Cornette says that his boys can wrestle and fight, and they'll only choose to break the rules if their opponents do. Um, and Jim adds that he expects Boyd was a big deal before there was electricity. Um, which you <laughs> have a great line. Do you wonder, do you think he'd ri- wrote, had written any of these down, or just literally just complete ad? I don't think so. I think there's maybe a, a, a series of one-liners that he's always always got in his back pocket sort of for when he needs them but like I say at 22 he can't have been working too many years I know he'd, no. I think he'd done photography around the ring for as a teenager but uh, yeah he's so quick with them and, and it was amazing so uh, yeah he's he just a phenomenal hit ultimately uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 wins with his knee lift in just over five minutes I thought it was a bit of a nothing contest more of a showcase for Jim Cornette what did you, did you think of this match between uh, Wrestling 2 and uh, Lanny Poffo yeah I'd agree with that um started with him putting Lanny in headlocks and takedowns and Lanny tried a few different ways of escaping. Uh, I did notice um, Mr. Wrestling 2 only took one bump in the entire match, which was when he suplexed Lanny Poffo. Oh, uh, just before Neil. Well. That was, that was the, the only time he, he, he's back at the match. Yeah, I think Wrestling 2's best outings have really been in tags with Magnum Tiani, but he's best in, in and out, but he's, he's really in. Uh, I guess with Crusher, Khrushchev and Volkov, um, and, and to a lesser extent, Hacksaw Butch Reed, really Mr. S2's top heel here as, as their main, their main champion. Yeah. Um, so after the break, Cornette is still at the desk, uh, and Boyd says that Hacksaw Jim Duggan was back for the bang last week, um, and they recap the entire angle when Duggan came out to save Taylor from attack from Crucial and Volkov. Um, after, uh, sorry, Mark, anything to add on this, um, this recap? Yeah, um, it was odd to see, um, Hacksaw Duggan, uh, as yes. Bill Watson called <laughs> Doing everything, all, all the mannerisms that he later did in the WWF. So obviously carrying the two by four, what the thumbs up to the crowd and stamping his feet. Everything except shouting ho. That must have been something WWF come up with. So, so can you remember, because we, we debated this last week, can you remember when he debuted WWF? Was he around for another couple of years in Mid-South? No, I, uh, I only sort of base it on pay-per-views. He wasn't there yet at WrestleMania 3, I know that. So we're into mid eighty seven. Maybe was he there at the Survivor Series? Because he won the 88 Royal Rumble, didn't he? So yes, at yeah. some point between WrestleMania um, 3 and uh, January of 88, he must have arrived. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know, actually. Um, yeah, not sure. Mate, that's, that's one to look up, uh, look up another day. So I did notice uh, around this point, there was a kid in the front row. I noticed things like that this, for some reason. He looked about 12 or 13 years old, but he was um, chewing tobacco. 
spitting it into a paper clip. <laughs> so I just noticed that in the middle of that match. Just, uh, oh, incredible. I'm glad, I'm glad you noticed that. Um, yeah. So back at the desk, uh, Cornette says to Boyd not to criticise his men, given that Dugan used the board uh, when he attacked Khrushchev and Volkov. Um, Jim Ross in ring introduces Nikolai Volkov-Khrushchev, who's facing Randy Barber and John King. Um, it's clear that Cornette and Watts' angle is the focus of the promotion here, given that he's been allowed to commentate on pretty much the whole show so far. Um, he says, I thought this line was really good, he says in commentary that his mother invests a lot of her money uh, yearly in American interests. Yeah. He can't blame Volkov and Khrushchev. So come on, which is great. Like, he, he, he's a heel. He wants to support the heels. Like his the his mother's like as that. good a character as they've got in Mid-South, and she's never oh. ever on, just from Cornette talking about her every week. Yeah, it's just, it's just, this is a very Mid-South thing to... Okay, so why is Cornette supporting the Russians here when the Russians are supposed to be so dastardly that no one supports them? He explained it. I just, I just thought it was really, really great. Yeah. Um, this is a quick match. Um, this is probably the first time we've seen Volkov's absolutely devastating-looking finisher in Mid-South, this kind of gorilla press, backbreaker, neckbreaker, deathbreaker that he, that he just about yeah. takes his opponent's head here. Yeah, he only came in at the end, um, and, and that was pretty much all he did. Khrushchev had most of the match, and... And his offense, like like late years in demolition, he just looks brutal when he's when he's yeah. pounding the way of the guy. I've been I've been really impressed with him um, in, in in this run. He, he he just looked really 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 impressive in his in his offense. And um, so yeah, Volkov wins in one hundred and four. Um, and Boyd says that Cornette has gone far enough, and either he goes or Boyd will go. He says that his good friend Hacksaw Jim Dugan is in the next match. If he doesn't go, Dugan will escort him out of the building. And Cornette says Cornette says that no one tells him what to do. But he does have an appointment to call his mother shortly, so we'll leave. Um, yeah, final thoughts on Jim Cornette here. Yeah, he, he made it clear that it's his own decision to leave, nothing to do with what Boyd just said. He just remembered he had to call his, his mother in a few minutes' time. It was, just, it was yeah, he's fantastic. Perfection. At 22, 22 years old, it's just, just incredible. He's such a strong performer already. Yeah. Um, so Jim Ross now introduced Masao Ito, who'll be going up against Hatchel Jim Duggan. Um, the crowd goes wild for his introduction. Um, this is quite interesting because Ito's been largely protected so far. Um, Duggan starts pretty fast. It's rough. Did you notice the left, left-handed or left-arm clothesline that I just thought looked like it took Ito's head off when he came out of the corner? Yeah, yeah. He really hooked around in the neck with it, didn't he? Yeah, like a, like a immediate red card in rugby if he did that. Yeah. Um, so Ito fires back with a chop and takes over, and the crowd is really into this one. Um, Duggan completely no-sells a leg drop and gets back to his feet. And fires yeah, right he pretty hand. much hulked up from it, which is he did. odd in he itself did. from yeah. a leg drop. But yeah, he sort of um, started shaking the head and stomping around the ring pre-Hogan doing it. Yeah, he really did. Um, so Duggan spends a little while just holding Ito under the chin um, in no particular manoeuvre, which I thought was a little bit odd. Um, uh, the referee then remonstrates with Duggan for using a closed fist. And I wondered whether we were going to get a Duggan DQ here, um, but Duggan pushes him away. Um, then, basically, Ito hits a rope. Duggan hits what is described as a spear, but it's more like a flying Luthes press. You know, it's yeah, I, well, I thought more of a shoulder tackle, sort of a yeah, yeah, yeah. style shoulder tackle. But yeah, they, they mentioned spear a few times. Yeah, well, it wasn't really a spear. But then, then Volkov and Khrushchev hit the ring, and um, Khrushchev has the gold, coal miner's glove. Um, I thought Jim Ross was just incredible on commentary here, um, talking about um, Khrushchev sort of trying to attack Duggan with the, with the coal miners. Go, what, what did you think of this this yeah, angle? Yeah, it was such a clever way of of making the coal miners glove look brutal and important. The way at first Nikolai got in the ring first, Volkov got in the ring with a wooden board, uh, attempted to ha- um, attack Hacksaw with it, 
Hacksaw disarmed him. He got the wooden board. And then by the time Khrushchev got in and went to punch Hacksaw, he held up the board. And, of course, it smashes the board in half. So the commentators took that note to, you know, look how devastating the coal miner's glove is. It split that big wooden board clean in half. Yeah, it was it was superbly done. Um, eventually, the Rock and Roll Express and Magnum TA make the save as Ross screams at Duggan, which is inches away from the coal miner's glove. Also, the other thing with that coal miner's glove, that's the reason um, in storyline terms that Duggan's been away for weeks as well. So that's obviously really, really over. Um, Duggan, the DQ, winning 3-14. Yeah, I thought, I thought this was... Um, action in ring was a little bit rough at times, but great heat from the crowd. And again, here, which, which, which was great. Um, so then, next up, we have our TV main event, the semi-final of the TV title tournament between Hacksaw, Butch Reed, and Terry Taylor, with Pee Wee Anderson, the referee. Uh, he did WCW in later years? Yeah, it's the Anderson. same Randy Anderson. Yeah. 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 Um, and then Grizzly Smith has informed Boyd Pierce that Cowboy Bill Watts has been taken from the building completely unconscious, um, which is somewhat concerning given that attack happened probably about 35 minutes before that. So yeah. that's worried me, um, to be completely honest. I did, I did notice in the beatdown, um, he wasn't sort of, when they were punching and kicking him, he, he wasn't reacting to him. He was laying perfectly still. So he yeah. was unconscious fairly early on and they got a few more good kicks in before the baby faces won them off. Yeah, it's really interesting because Watts apparently hasn't wrestled in this promotion for quite a long time. So it, it, it's, it's, I think these angles work, work best where it's not someone that's been on commentary for three or six months or something, but apparently he's been on commentary for years and years and years yeah. and not been physically involved. So clearly this is going to be the focal point. Um, so Taylor starts fast with some drop kicks to the delight of the crowd. Um, and the commentators explain that Winner will face Crush, Crush Crusoe the following week for the $10,000 prize and an Olympic style medal. Um, what do you think of this 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 match here with sort of back and forth stuff from um, from Taylor and and Reed before we cut to a cut to a break? Yeah, it was odd that uh, I mean they mentioned early on about the winner will meet Khrushchev in the final, so you'd logically expect the babyface to win rather than Butch Reed versus Khrushchev in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, also on commentary, Boyd mentioned the standby match between Buddy Landell and Joe Savoli is coming up next, so that makes yeah. you think all oh, right, so this match will be out of the way and there'll still be plenty of time left. So that sort of was a red herring into the match finishing and having a winner, should I say. So yeah, there's little things like that which worked really well. But, um, before break, Boyd explains that due to a prior network commitment, that I take a break, we're back after the, with this yeah. conclusion of this tournament match. And um, So after the break, we're back right back in the ring and see Taylor leapfrog Reed and hit a drop kick followed by a big slam. Um, did you notice the two ladies in the second row? There's literally two girls that were jumping up and down in delight at this. Like, yeah, everything Taylor did basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Taylor makes a schoolboy error by dropping his head on the back. And he takes a big boot uh, into the face by Reed. And um, Reed then heads up to the second row and drops a big elbow on Taylor. And Ross speculates that this might be all she wrote for the future Red Rooster. Um, and then he says they have just under three minutes of TV time remaining, and they need a pinfall soon, or they're going to have some problems. Um, I thought this was really, really good. Both um, both Pierce and Ross sort of stressing how little time there was and that both men had been informed that they knew they had to press for, press for a winner here. Yeah, I like that they brought that up and they mentioned it. But it was such odd timing that immediately after they said that is when Butch Reed put on a very long face lock and yes. sort of slowed the pace of the match down. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Reed cranks down that front face lock as... as on Taylor's the ref checks on him. Um, Ross says that the final will be next week and they'll know more about what's happening with Cowboy Bill Watts. And um, Taylor makes his way out with one minute remaining and he tries to um, 
reverse out of this punch face lock, but he gets pulled back down again. And Taylor then makes it up. Both men fire some great looking punches back. Well, I thought this was really good. That bit of the old boo, boo chin um, thing that you got sort of 20 plus years later between these two with some good shots back and forth. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just warming up nicely. And, and another thing on uh, the commentary between, I can't remember if it was Boyd or Jim Ross said it, but um, the prestige of being Mid-South TV champion, whoever wins the tournament, will make them more valuable elsewhere, coast to coast. And it's so odd to hear commentators of a wrestling company talking about, oh, he might go to other wrestling companies. Yes. And wrestle for them. Yeah. You don't well, I think that, that wouldn't happen Ross, Ross was so, I just, I mean, Jim Ross has always been a fantastic, but I think this early, early Jim Ross is just so good. And you don't get him every week, but he just makes things feel important. Like I'm getting into a match from, 36 years ago um, between these two guys and I'm, I'm actually really interested in, with a minute to go like what are they going to do what are they going to do here and I just think this this is what wrestling this is the wrestling that we grew up on really in terms of yeah. sure hour long episode you really want to see what happens next week um, so, so basically with um, just under a minute to go um, Taylor hits an atomic drop and a drop kick and then the bell goes and the TV shows it goes TV show goes immediately to closing credits without a winner which is the first time I've seen this um, in terms of in terms of this closing off, and I thought this was pretty good action between these two. What what did you think of the the, the unfortunately inconclusive finish, but a good match between these two? Yeah, everything Butchery does just looks hard hitting and and solid. He did a I think a elbow um, off the second rope to a um, vertical Terry Taylor, and it just looked bang right between the eyes. And um, and yeah, I mean that it was the timing was perfect as. Taylor was making his comeback. The crowd were going wild right as the um, as the time ran out. Yeah, I I, I think it's interesting, and it? it's certainly a hook for for next week. Um, I thought overall the show Cornette's commentary was a highlight. Um, definitely, the angle with with Watts was largely well done. A little bit, I wouldn't have shown those packages quite the same way. Um, yeah. And then obviously we've got the hooks for next week. Next week being what they do with the TV title tournament and what what happens with, with Bill Watts. So what did you think of the of this episode overall, so this, is this two or three episodes overall you've seen in Mid-South now? I think this is the fourth now. Um, fourth? Okay, wow. Yeah. So I've been following the TV tournament quite a bit. And um, and, and another mention towards the end there of Grizzly Smith. I think Jim Ross said Grizzly Smith's got a decision to make here because the bell is wrong. So it's yes. just all, all more uh, anticipation going into next week. I just like the, um, they have an interesting rule on commentary. If you're on commentary and you attack someone, you get fined a certain amount. It's all about, it reminds me a bit of like the Jack Tunney days when something, something controversial would happen in WF. Like there's a clear, and it's not like a modern day authority figure. It's supposed to be like a neutral someone makes the right decision, et cetera. Um, yeah. And again, a really, really enjoyable, um, episode of, of Mid-South wrestling, really. And it just continues to go. The only thing I'm gutted about, and I'm interested in you don't like a bit like WCW back in the, 90s, you're never going to get to see the payoffs really of any of this stuff because it's all probably lost footage on house shows of dim and distant memories, sadly. Yeah, the big stadium shows and everything, unless WWE gets the rights to them. But isn't it um, Bill Watts' ex-wife? I think I heard the Jim Cornette interview where he said she's got rights to a lot of things that she's not giving up. Yeah, and I, I also don't think that the Superdome shows, um, I'm not sure that they were taped because I would have ah, thought... Right. Yeah, I would have thought that some footage would exist somewhere, and and I haven't ever seen on the uh, Mid South Television any footage from the Superdome. The thing that's missing from this, I talked about it last week, I'm sure you've heard, but the thing that's annoying that's missing is the local promos um, that would be in between the breaks that were promoting the big show. That's where they would do all the matches and come and see, you know, Butch Reed versus Terry Taylor, etc. So 
that's missing, unfortunately. Um, but Mark, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this epic chat about uh, WrestleMania trips of years gone by and, uh, and a great review of Midtown Wrestling. Um, where can people find you on Twitter if they want to hear some, some musings from you about the, the world of wrestling and, and mail and various other things on Twitter? Yeah, I try, I try to only talk about positive wrestling things, things that I like about it, because like I said, for, for a long period, I was one of those who'd watch every minute of WWE and complain about it. So um, on Twitter, it's at Dopper6, which is D-O-P-P-E-R and the number six, and Instagram, same, Dopper6. Fantastic. Mark, thank you very much. We'll definitely do this again, and I hope, yeah. I hope you're into Mid-South now. We can keep your fandom going forward. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. Good up. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.